Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Film, Film Squawk. Ocean's 8, directed by Gary Ross, 2018. Hi, Cassidy. Hey, Rochelle. Hi, Stacy. Hello, Rochelle. Are we going to have fun today? Oh, <gasps> yes. No. Oh, no, I we am. are. No, we are going to have fun. I just did that for fun. That was such a funny joke. <laughs> Criminal fun. <gasps> Eight accomplished criminals band together to plunder New York City's annual Met Gala. So what are some yays, some reasons to see Ocean's Eight? My yay is the women. Oh, Anne. My yay is also, I think, the cast, because I freaking love the cast. Um, and yeah, for me, I have like not very analytical standards, I feel like, when I go to see a movie. So it was just kind of a fun, like, candy movie, in my opinion. Yay. And my yay would be the thematic fact that Matt Damon's scene was cut. <gasps> yes. I have that as a note to talk about later as well. How about nays reasons why we maybe would skip this one uh the uninspired and stereotypical writing that failed the women yeah that was words out of my mouth like the stereotypical roles uh that the women were portraying pre-heist my nay would be the pretty consistent struggle uh, with comedic timing and the execution um, or even understanding of some of the dialogue that's being delivered, getting lost. So currently, as of June 10th, Ocean's 8 has made about $42 million of its $70 million budget. Mm, its Metascore is 61. Its letterboxed average is 3.4. So we're looking at a fairly average-rated, average-attended film mm -hmm. do we happen to know those of us that have done research what oceans 11 did at the box office how it did? oh what a good question gross for oceans 11 183 million dollars adjust that for inflation because that was like so long ago oceans 12 126 oceans 13 118 um Ocean's 8, yeah, is sitting at 46. How? Okay, but that's, up. it's still so early. Yeah, it's very early. I love that it's just been like movie after movie of like dude heavy casts and finally they're like, well, I guess the ladies can have their own storyline. It is interesting to look at the stats and see that though the, the numbers are going down, the gross, the gross amount coming in is going down, but the amount of theaters that these films are being shown at is going up. So whereas we started with about 3,100 theaters uh, for Ocean's Eleven uh, back in 2001, we're now 1,000 more theaters, 1,100 more theaters uh, mm. here in 2018. So we're almost at the the 4,200 theater mark for the debut, for are the there, release. Are there just more theaters now? Is I think that so. probably why? Potentially. Or maybe a factor that would be in that guess. number? And just like you know, the struggle of the industry recently. You know, I wonder, like, even for me before movie pass, I, like, stopped going to the movies for, like, mm -hmm. 15 years because it got so expensive, so. Yeah. Know. Not that that would encourage people to build more theaters, so. Yeah, I don't know. It could just be, yeah. like, the American dream where we're like, fuck it. Mm -hmm. Let's put these big monstrosities everywhere. Who cares? Smart. Speaking of franchises, 
And before we get into the nitty gritty, if you had to decide or had to choose, which would you say Ocean's 8 is? A spinoff or a reboot? A spinoff. Yeah, I, I, I would say, say a spinoff too. Though it does seem like they're trying to reboot the franchise a little bit. but So I guess I'll say both. <laughs> yeah, I mean the characters had similar... Uh, they mirrored the other characters in some ways, but since they all exist in the same universe, you know, it, it wasn't technically a, a, reboot. a reboot. It was, yeah, a spinoff mm-hmm. in the same universe. What do you think? I would say that I would agree that it's both. Um, specifically because Soderbergh's still involved, he's still producing, and um, that element of involvement would suggest the reboot reboot angle. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas since Matt Damon's scene was cut, um, we've got to get into that. <laughs> you know, there, there are only two characters, two male characters who actually appeared in Ocean's 8 from the other films. Uh, and they both had extremely specific roles in the other films and were so memorable um, for those smaller but very important roles. And... So that to me suggests spinoff because we're not focusing so much. We do focus a bit on Danny, but from beyond. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And this is amazing because I completely forgot that Matt Damon was in the original ones. Oh, yeah. Everyone's in it. Julia Roberts. Brad Pitt. Yeah, I remember them. I just like Matt Damon was. Okay, can we talk about Matt Damon's scene getting cut? Yeah. Really quick. Mm -hmm. Like what? What's I guess just please enlighten me because I didn't do my research. You filmed a scene with Sandra Bullock, I believe, and it never made it out of the editing room. And there's definitely some speculation with the Me Too, mo- Me Too movement going on right now, if that was the reason why. And the way in which he's reacted to it, too. He's a right. little on the defense. Right. That's exactly why. I wonder how much he got paid. To do it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like, don't know. I how wonder that works. if he made more than Aquafina. I like some of the certainly hope actresses. not. So yeah, he was cut, as was Carl Reiner, who that name is familiar, but I don't know. He was another character in Ocean's Eleven. Um, I think he played Saul, Saul mm. Bloom. Another <laughs> aspect of this potentially being a reboot is the fact that wasn't it released on the eleventh anniversary of Ocean's Thirteen? So they're definitely mm-hmm. linking mm-hmm. these films. Um, they're like, wait a minute, women are getting sexually harassed and talking about it. Let's capitalize on that and reboot this film. Mm-hmm. Maybe not, sorry. I'm well, like, oh. I mean, and that's a whole other aspect, right? Because we've seen, over the years, we've seen other male film roles being repurposed for women versus new female roles uh, or gender queer roles being written for those individuals mm-hmm. for women maybe by a woman i don't know i know it's a very novel idea but mm-hmm. i was really irritated to that it was written and directed by men like, well is... and it was co-written by um olivia milch yeah. who's also on board i think writing barbie for 2020 but um i don't know what her i don't know what that dynamic would have been like mm-hmm. um or her role she hasn't done much before this. I think she did mm. a film, maybe, was it called Dude or Duke? Mm-hmm. Well, she had second billing, too. Yeah. So yeah. that says a lot right there. Yeah, it was just, I love all of the actresses. And, like, Sandra Bullock, man, just, like, grew up with her. So 
I think she was and intentionally my favorite favorite and strongest character. Uh, but yeah, I just didn't. I don't know the stereotypes of all of the other individual characters, except also Aquafina. I feel like she was kind of she like her role didn't irritate me as much as far as how it was written. Um, but yeah, like Sarah Paulson making that like green smoothie when she got called by Sandra Bullock, and I don't know, it's like the stereotypes i'm just over it silly stereotypes that also got me as well um and as i was researching the original oceans 11 that has frank sinatra dean martin sammy davis jr back in the 60s i was reading um the synopsis of it and something that struck me was sammy davis jr's character uh his role in the original film to go undercover in the casino was a a sanitation worker. So he drove a garbage truck. And Rihanna, that's also her little infiltration role as she's cleaning up the garbage. She's a janitor. And I thought that was a bizarre, uh, kind of racist callback well, to the original film. A little Rasta and like smoking weed all the time. Like and then like the white ladies are like, she's smoking. Yeah. It was a huge disservice to women of color. I felt. I was kind of surprised that Rihanna went along with it, honestly. I thought it was kind of a hilarious juxtaposition to the fact that she conducted all of the, like, the main rights. She was the Met Gala princess this last year. Like, she was the one who essentially ushered everyone in. She was was the Daphne Kluger (laughs) of the Met Gala this year. And then to have her relegated to this cliche. Mm -hmm. They are. Like, that was my biggest problem was they were all just so... Aside from Aquafina, I didn't feel like she was such a cliche, but in Sandra Bullock, I suppose, just because of the nature of her crazy criminal character. But mm-hmm. everybody else to me was just a bit cliche. Even Mindy. Yeah, all of them, a little bit. And they, I love them all. They each definitely represented a specific role, they definitely were a certain character to round out the group, potentially being one side of a faceted one whole. I don't know. Like the idea would be that they each brought something that created the perfect team. And that's true. That's a really good point. It's just the choices that they made of who did what felt very stereotyped. Like why couldn't Sarah Paulson's character have been the janitor right, to break in? You know what I mean? Like I don't understand why why they had to make those choices, why Mindy had to be the jeweler, which is super common in India. And and that's, I don't know, it just felt, it felt not good to me. Yeah, lacking some sort of originality, though I couldn't even pinpoint like what I mean by that. But it was a lost opportunity, I think, to take an obviously thought out, um, whether it's been off or reboot, Featuring women, only women, especially in this time that we're experiencing um, in society, it was a lost moment, a lost opportunity to shift these norms or shift these perceptions or not play into what's expected or what's stereotypically normal. I don't think that it had to be this way. I don't think it had to be cast this way. I think these exact same characters could have been thrown into a bag 
pulled out and any one of those actors could have handled the character and it would have been such an exciting revelation or just even just a new way of approaching casting. Um, and it would have been a really wonderful example to set. And so that's the, the missed opportunity I see I see here in Ocean's 8. Yeah, because I can't stress enough how much I love everybody that was in it. Like the actresses yeah. are just incredible performers. Yeah, the writing just imagined them in the ways that film continues to imagine these women, women of color. Like it was a great film for white women. Go them, they're in charge. Every single role of authority, it was a white woman. Something that was a little less normative was the sapphic overtones or undertones that a lot of viewers have been picking up on. The idea that, you know, Debbie and Lou, Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett, essentially, are they lovers? Are they not? It's, it's all a little flirty for all of them. Every single one of them somehow navigates the environment in a little bit of a flirty way. It's not necessarily, uh, it's not explicit, but it's got a lot of people talking. Mm -hmm. I loved that. And I did love like their dynamics as a group. You know, I think it was only them individually before they were pulled into the heist that I was like, really? This is the background you're giving these people? I didn't but pick on pick up on any flirtatious vibe. I can read you the list if you want. So well, Vulture may, came out with this great article and it ranked how Leslie each character was. Kate Blanchett won. Yeah, yes. obviously. Yeah. Well, it's the okay. green sequin bell bottom. Oh. <laughs> And their looks at the end. Oh, and yeah. they're feeding each other Chinese food at oh, the table. Just oh, going all wonderful. in. It was it just it did feel good to just see like a group of women in an action movie. Mm -hmm. That was almost a relief, honestly. Mm -hmm. Well, and it was it was kind of a fun one to punch because uh, you know, John Mullaney's joke before this film came about, before it became realized, uh he said, it's difficult to imagine accomplishing it because the women would inevitably smack talk each other. The mm. idea was that it couldn't be done because the women would pair off and then have little cat fights. John Mulaney said that? Yeah. Fuck you, John Mulaney. What the fuck? I liked you before. Now you pompous little twit. Put this in. <laughs> <laughs> he can't imagine women being competent or in charge or pulling off a heist. Well, it's just an interesting takeaway, even just looking at it from a perspective that is so... Of an entitled white man. It's such an entitled white man's perspective or just anyone who is saying women can't accomplish things because they would cause fights with one another? Because of hysteria, maybe. Maybe. You've got to keep them all busy so that they don't band together and rise up and take over. Better get them in the kitchen making a fucking protein smoothie. Wow, that like turns me off of John Mulaney. That, that makes me mad. Pisses me off. Yeah, it, he didn't say it was impossible. He said it would be difficult to accomplish. <sighs> and I'm wondering if he thinks that this group of women, if it would be difficult for them to accomplish it as actors, just actors on set, or the characters, how they're written on screen. Which set of women is he talking about? Or is he talking, has he been talking about both? I can't think of any context where his statement isn't offensive. Yeah. Like, it just sucks. Yeah, fuck off, And John it's Lee. this naivete that white men have right now. Like, you know, like, because they don't get it. You know what I mean? 
And it's just so exhausting. And I'm so sick of like comedians telling us as women like what the the haps is, you know, like shut up. Oh, shut up, John Mulaney. So then thinking about the fact that these these women have banded together in a very positive way, even with all of the issues aside, the idea is they work well together as a team. Fuck you, John Mulaney. Fuck you, John Mulaney. And the question here then would be, if they work so well together as a team, and if there is that electricity in, in, in the crime, and, and we feel that and we see that, then what is it about this fizz that so many male reviewers are talking about, this lacking of fizz, there's a sp- this word out there that they're constantly using in relationship to like, the original, the Oceans trilogy, that it had fizz. Maybe it was the pacing. Like Maybe? I felt like the pacing mm-hmm. was a bit slow. I also had issues with the editing. I felt there were really long shots of buildings and strange long transitions that took up so much screen time. Like, why aren't we focusing on the women? Or just cut it out. I don't understand. It, it felt slow to me. Yeah. It, the whole, it did lack energy, but not, for me, it wasn't due to any sort of of the characters no, um, and it started for me. It started dragging like once they were at the gala. Like that's actually oh, it, when the pacing for me started to really like. It happened to me earlier. There was this one shot, like fifteen minutes in, where they're zooming in on whatever establishing shot they're zooming in on. Um, I remember and, the shot you're talking about. But. And there's this like natural moment where you feel like, okay, now we're going to cut to inside, and it doesn't, it, and it just keeps going, and it felt like a style choice that was pointless. It's just wasting seconds that you could have been inside. Focusing on the action. Focusing on the fizz. Focusing on the fizz. Well, and it could have been time spent allowing some of these comedic dialogue pieces to really land, these lines. So my example for one of my my specific reason not necessarily to catch this film or something that was a turnoff for me was the idea that there are these women and they're speaking, but I kept misunderstanding what they were saying. And these jokes I thought were one thing or weren't even there so an example would be when debbie is talking to nine ball for the first time she's being introduced and debbie says what's your name and nine ball says nine ball and then debbie says what's your real name she says eight ball but i didn't catch that i thought that rihanna just repeated nine ball oh i thought so too i didn't catch she that. yeah no, it, it, apparently it says on everything i looked up it says she said eight ball well i totally missed that another example would be when helena's character rose is so sad about the fact that she is a washed up husband. And she says, I'm going to go to prison and then I'm going to be really, really poor. I thought she said, and then I'm going to be really, really bored. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I thought she said bored too, but she didn't. It says that she said poor. I I picked up on all of these things. <laughs> what movie we went to different show times, maybe. Well, and we were sitting pretty close, and I don't know what that means, but ultimately, whether it's my fault or whether it was just that it rushed through the ends of these lines to get to these pull-ins of these establishing shots. I mean, how was the time used? Right. How was the screen time used? And I, I do think that there were moments when it felt forced. Whatever was happening just felt slightly forced, and I didn't know if it had to do with the pacing like we've discussed. I didn't know if it had to do with the way the shot was established um, or if it was just the fact that I was missing pieces along the way. And so I was having to gather what I could 
and piece it together on my own uh, just in these what seemed to be kind of critical comedic moments. Mm -hmm. I question the writing there too. You know, what were the jokes written for these women knowing the actor and their own quality that they bring, you know, or do they have liberties to sort of play with the script? I don't know. To me, the script felt kind of stuffy. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what sort of liberties they had that they could take with the script. So I questioned the writing too. Yeah. And I mean, maybe it was me forcing it because in my first introduction to Rihanna's character, Nineball, I didn't see her as a comedic character. Uh, and so for her to switch from Nineball to Eightball really makes no sense to me. I could see her repeating it because she seemed a little bit more forthright mm -hmm. and just sort of like, this is how it is. Um, and then for Rose, I mean, yes, it's very literal. She will be poor because she's 500 no, five million. <laughs> five hundred million dollars in debt. No. A she, billion dollars in debt. <laughs> she's really in debt. And it's going to be worse, you know, mm -hmm. now that her show has failed. So I can see her saying really, really poor. But I think really, really bored is so way funnier. funnier. <laughs> we laughed really hard. Because she's an intensely creative person. Yeah. Like, she never gives that up. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, when you get to the end and you get to see what every single woman has spent their money on, you know, she opened her store and then she started oh, using I the inspiration that. from this crime as part of her designs. Like mm -hmm. she, she would have been really bored way more than she would have been poor in prison. In prison, you get three squares, man. Yeah. <laughs> you have a bed, mm -hmm. but you it. don't have crafts. No, no art. Well, you do. Maybe summer. Maybe crafts. not like but couture not, crafts. Not she's used <laughs> to. Couture she's crafts. been bored. <laughs> so maybe that was what it was. And I just, I barely was introduced to the, was barely introduced to these characters before I was maybe inserting my own understanding of what they'd be saying, mm -hmm. but I still missed it. Yeah, well, so I missed the actual language. That makes me wonder if we understand, you know, these actors better than the creators of the film understood these actors. Oh, like because women we're putting, understanding women more. I'm preaching. Maybe again. I mean maybe we have these expectations going in because we've seen them in films or we know their careers to some degree, and so we have these built-in expectations of like, yeah, this is what would happen, For and then the writing is just like. Oh, I'm not going to pay attention to that it's at like, all. Wah, and this is the wah. joke that I wrote. So we're just going to keep it in here. It did remind me of Green Gods when they were like in the basement of Cartier. I was like. Of what? Of Car of Green Gods, the bank in. Uh, right. Is that right? Green no, Gods in Harry Potter. Yes. In Harry oh, Potter. Sorry. I was like, I did not make the leap with you. Helena <laughs> Bottom Carter. Well, and that's another thing to that think about. That is totally irrelevant. <laughs> well, consider it, though. If, if these actors were cast essentially as versions of themselves then of then yes Stacy I would think that there's a big chance that we're creating carryover as viewers as consumers as pop culture aficionados people who live in it every single day watching these women grow change create contribute yeah I mean that is such a great example of maybe why I was so easily putting these words in these women's mouths mm -hmm. yeah like, I don't think, I don't feel like Mindy got to be Mindy. She was I Mindy don't think a so bit either. just in her wardrobe. That's the only that's thing it, but I that's thought like, Mindy was Mindy in. What a wasted opportunity. I feel like Sandra Bullock was her. Yeah. For sure. Um, but there were all of these other comedians that didn't get to be them. Like Rihanna. Why wasn't she freaking Rihanna? Why didn't we see her dressed up the whole time? Yeah. Like you said earlier, was, she was such a big deal at the last Met Gala. Why didn't they? Well, Gala? Gala. 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 Oh, um, they correct that in yeah, the film. Yeah, they do. Why <laughs> Why didn't they capitalize on that and have her in a similar outfit? I know that she was dressed up at the end and she came down and she had that moment. But she was in a jumper 
shoveling trash out most of the time. That's bullshit. Well, and in all of the previews and like promo shot, I never saw her as that character. Like it was the red dress with the like amazing hair that was uh, that I saw in previews and like mm-hmm. on the poster and stuff. Maybe it wasn't the poster, but that is the image I had going into right. it for Rihanna. Well, and that's how we think of her too. Yeah, correct. A queen. I think Mindy's only Mindy line, which is so funny because they are playing characters, but it was when she's like, wait. <laughs> oh, that was, <laughs> that was amazing. It, it that was. That was it. the one for me. And that was I, it. The showtime I saw that got the biggest laugh, I think, out of the whole film. It was so funny. And that, it yeah, really that it's so interesting that they have these comedic women in these roles and they didn't really get to shine. Like, they mm-hmm. didn't get to shine. They were kind of, like you said, Stacey, it was stuffy. Mm-hmm. And stuffy not only in the writing, but in the, like, expression of the actors, too. Mm-hmm. I do think that potentially the one exception is Anne Hathaway's <gasps> portrayal of Daphne Kluger. Can we talk about Anne? Anne. Oh. Annie. Anne. Oh, Annie. I love her. Blue my mind have you guys ever heard <laughs> of the term hatha hate no no i know a lot of people don't like her or like it's yeah, been it's been given its own term that's ridiculous the amount that people shame her and complain about her over the course of since i think Why? 2012 is what they said why are they compl- like fans or people that work with her just, oh no no just one who knows toxic her fandom no one who knows her are they just, just people jealous online? of her perfect features and her giant yeah. titties that are amazing? Oh, my well, God. And that's that's part of it. You know, she, for a long time, I guess, did not respond to all of this contrarian talk and backbiting and meanness. Because when people don't know you in Hollywood, I guess the rule is you don't respond. So she didn't respond, and it only got worse. And so some people, some critics are saying that this was her way of finally responding because she played into the every single Stereotype. aspect every yeah. single thing people are giving our hard time for for the last five oh, years i have goosebumps she, like when she touches her neck okay when she that, cries about like her features oh my God. Her touching her neck and like being sexy to the guy was my favorite <laughs> acting i've seen since like marilyn monroe being a sex kid it like, was amazing obsessed all of it all of it her just every single complaint she had when she broke down how she wore her dresses, how she engaged with people. Every single detail are things that she's, as a human person, as a pop culture icon, has gotten heat for. And then she's unveiled and is like, what, did you think I was an idiot? Exactly. She's the smartest one Uh. there. (laughs) And the article, one of the articles I read said, and Anne Hathaway is as well. It was just great. Oh, that is so amazing. She did an, uh, well, and I think just like the character that was written for her, was stronger than the other I don't know I don't know what was going on with the other she had uh, development she got to change she got to there got to be like a shoe dropping with her and she wasn't everything that we expected her to be so Mm -hmm. it was very satisfying to for it to turn out that she was just way cooler and she was in on it uh at a certain point I mean I think that that was probably the satisfaction I felt Mm -hmm. I agree I mean I think that was honestly the biggest twist I know the big twist was that they stole more but for me, it was a bigger surprise yeah. to see Anne being like, yeah, I know exactly what's going on. Yeah, that was way. I wish they almost wouldn't have stolen the queen's jewels or whatever, because it was like a cherry on top to have that change in Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can we talk for a second yeah. about confidence versus competence? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? So I've read articles like in the past. I couldn't even reference where I've read them because I'm a millennial. 
but <laughs> they were talking about women in the workplace. I think there's a book about it. Um, Lean In, I think, discusses this, uh, which I also haven't read, hashtag millennial, um, about how men oftentimes get higher paying jobs because they go in so confidently. Mm -hmm. And women are oftentimes overly qualified, but because of the lack in confidence, they don't get the same job positions Mm -hmm. that men do. And so that was something I noticed in the film was that in Ocean's Eleven, and again, I I would need to rewatch it, but I didn't feel any hesitancy from any man. They're like, yeah, we're doing this. Yeah, yeah, Robin. And in Ocean's 8, I feel like it took a lot more convincing to get all of these women to do it, like Helena Bonham Carter. Um, Hmm. I feel like they all took a little bit more, like, coercing to get involved in the heist. I wonder if they had a more diverse, quote, criminal, end quote, background. So, like, Helena, she wasn't, like, a typical criminal. She was... She was a little bit of a fraud, but mostly she just had some really bad luck and she owed a lot of money. So she's going to go to jail because the IRS IRS was after her, correct? Mm -hmm. So she's a criminal in the like least criminally way. Not not intentionally. Completely unintentional. A a criminal, Mm -hmm. right. Whereas, I mean, Tammy had uh, like a massively amazing criminal enterprise going. She didn't need to leave. It was more like the scope of the job drew Sarah Paulson in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm who played Tammy. (laughs) So I think that that had a lot to do with why she needed to be convinced. How about Kate Blanchett when she's like, you're going to get us caught. I'm scared. Like, I don't know. I just feel like in Ocean's Eleven, Mm -hmm. they were like, we're doing this and we're going to do it. (laughs) And in this one, they were like, are we? Okay. That's an interesting point. I I wish now I would have watched Ocean's Eleven. That's why I wanted, like specifically that was the reason I wanted to watch it and I didn't. Millennial. Hmm. I'm intrigued by the idea that Kate Blanchett's character, Lou, was most hesitant once she found out that Debbie, Sandra's character, was trying to do a job in a job, and that the added element was that she was trying to pin it on the douchebag who got her put away. I wondered if she was being uh, protective, one, two, a shrewd criminal who understood a job in a job is bullshit and really risky, or three, she was jealous. Number three. She's like, leave him behind. Mm -hmm. Why are you paying attention? Hey, this movie was written by a man, so let's revolve the undercurrent around another man. I love that. I love it so much. Well, and it had to be revenge, Mm -hmm. and it couldn't have just been pure crime. Though I guess there's a lot of revenge in male criminal films. I couldn't bring a man in for the heist because what if I like fell in love with him or I'm just a ninny girl that finds dick so attractive that I couldn't heist with a dick next to me or I might put my mouth on it. I think her actual quote was, he's a guy. I don't want a guy. Guys get noticed, and for once, I want for all of us to fly under the okay, radar. that's right. Actually, that <laughs> it was, was like my favorite line quote. in the movie. Besides, weh. <laughs> weh. <laughs> that was something that I thought about after the film. Why these women, well, why Sandra Bullock, her character, um, was motivated to do all these things, which seemed to be men, her brother. Right. And then this man who wronged her. So I went and Claude. researched Claude, who, P.S., is my secret crush. <gasps> Richard, Armitage. Richard Armitage. He came on screen. She goes, oh, he's my BBC crush. B- oh, yeah. BBC so crush. He was in this, I was like, I don't know him Sorry. He was in North and South, which I love. And then he's in this series called Spooks or MI5 in the States. 
is how it's known. Anyway, I love him. He's such a, but he's always a jerk because he's so like he's sharp. So attractive, looking. like ruggedly attractive. Well, and he's like, severe. He looks he's a, a bit little, severe. He's a bit severe. I guess I'm into that. Um, I guess so. I guess so. So anyway, um, <laughs> whoa, where was I? You were talking about how everything revolves around men. Richard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wait a minute, it does. <laughs> we can't even do a podcast when a man's name comes. Oh, okay. Claude. <laughs> so yes, that struck me. So I went back to research why George Clooney's character wanted to do the heist with the casinos because he just got out of jail and was like, hey, I want to do this. And then you find out later the main guy that they're framing is with his ex-wife, Julia Roberts' character. So I was like, okay, so he does have like a female motivator there and they end up happily ever after. So I did like the difference there where they were drawing a parallel between Mm -hmm. the two. But in this version, she was like, fuck you. Okay, You're going to prison. And I, because that's exactly how I felt when I walked out of the film. Um, But it is interesting. You know, she, I actually felt more rubbed the wrong way that it was all about her brother. And I guess, yeah, he might be dead and that's sad. I love I my brother. I don't think he's actually dead. I don't think he's actually dead. He's not dead I because didn't... it is a reboot. Ooh, it's a reboot and yeah. they're all coming back. Well, it was because like... it said 2018. So I think they're going to do a film before Ocean's 8. If they do motherfucking Ocean 7 and Danny is alive and well, I'm going to be pissed. No, they're going to do 8, 9, 10 leading up to 11. Which numerically so makes it so confusing since it's in the so future. it's a reboot. It's another trilogy. They're like, hey, oh no, they're boom. they are wanting to do or they're the opportunity to do a reboot is there, which is why they chose eight. Is this going to be likened to Star Wars? Jeez, oh, <laughs> I don't know, but I don't know what is up Hollywood. Even like Harry Potter, I love it so much. But they're like, here's like twelve other Harry Potters. I just you. realized that when someone listens to this one day, <laughs> and I ask the question, "Is this going to be like in the Star Wars?" They're going to be like, "Oh, I can't believe she said that." I know. I love every Star Wars movie that's ever. Star come Wars out. is my favorite franchise ever. Toxic fandom can fuck right off. <laughs> yeah, and you the know what? The Star Wars fans right now are trash. being shitty. They're being awful about Solo. Um, about Solo, they've been really shitty. About <laughs> Kelly Marie Tran has been demonized, demonized, totally demonized, and she's left social media. Why? Because nostalgic fuckheads who want Star Wars to be about Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker all the time, send her so much hate for being Asian. This is real. We have a problem. We have a huge problem. And it's this crazy <sighs> fandom where people just it, live in this digital space and formulate all these ideas and create their values. And their house just smells like cat litter that needs to be changed. And they're like wearing their sweatpants. Like, fuck you. I'm going to say that a lot in this podcast, apparently. <laughs> and it's not the same, but it's similar when Idris was potentially going to play Bond. Totally. White men everywhere freaked 100%. out. God forbid that white men are threatened. Someone recently told me that they did freak out when they were going to change Bond's hair color, though. So apparently this goes deep. But they wow. did with Daniel Craig. Yes, that was But that, that was, was fine because sh- he was a white no, man. No, I think that that actually caused quite a bit of flack because that's all the not the hair color. Because were like, oh, exactly. no, all the girls think the blonde ones are hot. And what is this? Is this self-identification is this us using films as a way to mirror our fantasy lives onto these characters mirrored back onto us mirrored back onto these characters mirrored back onto us so much so heavily so deeply that when it shifts we no longer see ourselves and are therefore pissed 
and hateful and hurtful and terrible. That's absolutely it. Because think about the feeling you get when you watch like Ocean's 8 and you see all these women, you, when you see yourself in these roles and you're like, wow, this feels amazing. Now imagine that for the the past hundred years of cinema. And now the poor white men are like, wait, we have to share the screen with different genders and race? But it's so subconscious. It's so ingrained because they've had this their entire life. And I... and. And I can feel it yep. when I see someone like Wonder Woman. Just oh, oh my god, I and cried Woman, at the fight scene. And it's so mm-hmm. primal and visceral that experience because I, it's imagining me in that role, in a, to a degree. And it's also what, holding anyone who has not had this with you, like with Black Panther. It's, I cannot personally mm-hmm. have the same feeling I had with Wonder Woman that I had with Black Panther. Mm-hmm. But boy, does it get pretty similar when I'm empathizing Mm -hmm. with individuals and just considering the depth of importance Mm -hmm. and the degree of of loss that that individuals have had to face and it's a loss that you don't even know as a loss because it never existed to begin with and in that way you can to a degree understand which is where the white man is having trouble is that we have experienced it not being about us and that's okay it doesn't have to be all about us but we know that feeling Mm-hmm. Right, we as women grew up on that feeling. Yeah, and like so the women are not noticed, right? People mm-hmm. of color, every everyone who's not a white man ex- has yeah. experienced that and can hold that, and therefore can have empathy watching a black audience responding to Black Panther. Like we're like, fuck yes, this is amazing. amazing because we have we can sympathize with that situation. And so I have no idea what it would be like to not be able to sympathize. Yeah, and that that black hole of not understanding what it would be like not to be able to sympathize is a great beginning understanding precursor to, to looking into what it would be like mm-hmm. for a white man yeah. who, who doesn't sympathize. I'm sorry. I just don't give a shit. I'm like, deal with it, white guys. Fucking yeah. deal with it. Well, here's something interesting regarding legacy. Um, in Ocean's Eleven, and I read this, I did not rewatch Ocean's Eleven, so I'm probably going to Explain, explain this incorrectly, but there's a moment um, where these mentors come in or there's this like bigger male boss, like mobsters, kind of like a godfather relationship um, that women don't have. We don't have godmothers in crime, right? No. These women, that's their origin story. And so it's interesting to watch, to think about and I'm sure it's not intentional in the writing, but that was actually, that's kind of powerful to think about. My favorite quote was when Sandra Bullock was in the like Central Park bathroom getting ready and was like, do this for every girl that's nine years old going to bed that's dreaming of being a criminal. (sighs) Do it for her. Yeah. That was really powerful. I I really enjoyed that. It really was powerful. Because like, oh, weird. A woman is a criminal? Who would have thought? But we don't have criminal godmothers no no we have Thelma and Louise that's like the closest thing we've got to like right so when you talk about it's lacking this fizz or whatever these movies especially mobster movies have this legacy that is old it goes back to Frank Sinatra and before you know they are carrying this this mantle that's steeped in our history and women don't have that and I'm not surprised there's no fizz We're creating it right now. Yeah, like here's some fucking fizz for you. How about the founding mothers thing that they put up as a distraction? Oh, yeah. 
That was Do you remember that? When, when they, they were like testing out like the gala and the cameras and stuff? Or sorry. Oh, yeah. The, the Banksy's moment. Yeah, the Banksy moment. Oh, my gosh. That, that was, was another amazing. favorite part. Like I've been thinking about that part actually mm-hmm. today. <laughs> and it's interesting. I think for some of us, we have callbacks to characters that we find extremely strong. Uh, kind of like Kara Thrace in Battlestar Galactica. She plays Starbuck. That mm. was originally written for a man, as was Sigourney Weaver's role in Alien. (laughs) And I was reading about that, and there is this quote that I believe was the director said that what was so great was that you didn't expect her to live because she's so beautiful. Oh. Ow. So then we have these, these fictional powerful godmothers Mm -hmm. that were originally written as men Mm -hmm. but we still obviously identify with them as as women because that was the entire character they built they built these characters Mm -hmm. whoever wrote them for whatever purpose they completely re retooled and repurposed them but yeah we don't have the same legacy and our legacy is built from different mire Mm -hmm. and it's still being built yeah we're like rebuilding it i feel like Everyone's like, wait a minute, where'd our legacy go? We should probably work on that. Well, and then we try things and, and take risks, risks like the Ghostbusters mm-hmm. film. And it's so divided. I thought it was so fun. You I know loved who it. loved that movie? My eight-year-old neighbor who's a boy. Oh, <laughs> that love... is his Ghostbusters now that wow. he's growing up with. That's amazing. And he loved it. So, Yeah, I read an article about that too because people can't shut up about how much they hated Ghostbusters. And this man was defending that view and saying that Ghostbusters didn't live in the same universe. Um, they they replaced the characters, whereas in Ocean's 8, all the men still live in the universe. Right. Oh, that must make right? the white men feel more comfortable. And so he, and he addressed <laughs> that sentiment, too. That is interesting. Um, and, and it is a good point. Uh, at first, that was my reaction. I was like, oh, we have to have the men surviving I'm in this canon. today, too. But what he was saying was that um, they get to be unique versus carbon copies. Which is true. And that true. is a good point. Yeah. You know, and I, I didn't feel that way with Ghostbusters because it's Ghostbusters. Like, <laughs> it should be sort of light and shallow. It's Ghostbusters, you guys. Like, right. It's that toxic it can be fandom. A car- it's toxic fandom. Yeah, again. it is. But I love some women. I loved the women. Sandra Bullock, you have my heart for my whole life. I mean, she's had it since forever, since while you were sleeping. For me, it was um, practical magic. Yeah, I'm proud of these women. And I'm excited to see what comes next. Mm-hmm. Me too. I am yeah. too. And even with the writing, they did it justice. Like, I have no complaints about how it was acted. And yeah, I'm proud of them mm-hmm. and appreciate them for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Ocean's Eight. <laughs> so, if we were to take away from this film into our future viewing, what would be something that you'd want to hold on to moving forward? I love seeing women in action movies. I like seeing bands of women together. It's refreshing to see more women on screen. So, do more of that. Fingers crossed. Yeah, films like this definitely challenged the own, my own internal sexism that is there because I do devalue women on screen. I do. We've I been can't taught help to. It. 
we that's what I'm used to seeing. Yeah. And so it, there was a moment in the film where, where I realized I didn't doubt any of them. Like I completely believed that they could do the job that they were hired to do or set out to do. And I was like, oh, that feels good. Like shedding that, getting rid of that. Um, and that's only going to get better the more we view these films, even though they're not perfect yet. And they'll, they'll never be perfect. Well, and it's like a growth, right? Like they're on a trajectory forward where right now we're like including them in this white male universe, right? And they're kind of getting their own legs. And hopefully eventually there will just be original narratives about women written by women that can carry us mm-hmm. into the future. And like, hey, white guys, you can stay in there too. But just like shut the fuck up a little bit and like let somebody else into the limelight or share it. Though it raised my cackles. Uh, John Mulaney's joke does resonate because there has been a lot of television and film produced that showcases women not getting along. So any any film that even comes close to achieving friendships that we've seen like in Sex and the City and, and in other extremely positive female relationship-focused media, I'm thankful. Me too. I mean, and that was something I really identified with. I don't know. I think I have a hard time sometimes with that stereotype because when they were all like sitting around eating pizza and like hanging out or no, it was even before that when they were still getting ready for the heist and like Helena Bonham Carter was like sewing in the living, you know, they were all there. That was like very comfortable to me. I was like, yes, this is where women thrive is working with other women. So yeah, I have such a hard time with that John Mulaney comment. Like, And I'm not sure what came first, the chicken or the egg how women have been depicted for so long, how they've been depicted in their friendships and in how they interact with one another. But I do know that this film helps reinforce that that is not accurate, that we we belong together. We belong working together. We belong creating together. We belong pursuing, uh, whether it's diamonds or film production or motherhood, or travel we we do so well together women were made to love each other and be fiercely protective of each other and so that is what i will take away from this film and that is what i hope to see more of the cast was really supportive of each other too like even on social media during the filming of it like they were very outspoken about women working together and how well that that works and i just think it's just one more step and one more active effort to changing maybe not all the the cliches and maybe not getting it right 100%, but we got to see some women have a lot of fun and make a fuck ton of money and be really good to each other. And that's what they did, so. Well said. I couldn't agree more. Thank you for joining us for our sixth Crow Talk Film Squawk. Bye. We sound like this. We talk like this now. <laughs> I won't do it, never mind. Thanks. Bye. This has been a Talking to Crows production. 